Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. A graphic novel, a TV show, well it's not TV, it's HBO, and will this thing succeed, and by how much, man? And some might cheer, and some might scoff, because it's Damon Lindelof, but either way we're off to watch some Watchmen. Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Watchmen Who watched the Watchmen? We watched the Watchmen because it's over, folks. It's all done with. This is the end, but nothing ever ends except for our podcast, which is going to be coming to an end shortly. I'm Alex. Wow. Dark start to the last podcast. This is Justin Tyler. Hey, Pete here. Uh, Sorry, we say last names as well now, Pete. Uh, I'm Alexander Zalbin. Yeah, let's keep it. Could you give your full name, please? Uh, Pete LePage. Great. And social security number, just real quick, just lay that out there. Rile it off. Hey, kiss my ass is my number. (laughs) I believe that. I believe you changed it with the government. Uh, Guys, I'm sorry I'm a little more formal, but this is uh, the end of an era. So uh, excuse me for being a real person. (laughs) Yeah, well, whatever, man. Just because you're wearing a suit doesn't make make you better than us, all right? Not enough people dress up for podcasts, and it's time we all started as as a group. Yeah, and I just want to say that just because we're, we're recording this over video on Skype, just because I have a close-up of my peen right now doesn't mean that I'm trying to intimidate you guys. No. Wait, what did you say? A close-up of your what? Peen? Peen. Okay. Peen. What are, you should have such a nickname basis for your penis. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, well, you know, it's like Dr. Pete Hatton. You know what I'm talking yes. about. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. We are talking about the final episode of the first and so far only season of Watchmen on HBO. See how they fly. Now, we're going to get into a recap of what happened so far. We're, of course, going to talk a lot about this episode. And I will mention we're going to hold off, I think, on any season two speculation because we are going to do one more bonus podcast that we'll roll out in the Watchmen Watch. Feed the last bonus the because last we got more Pedipedia. We got to get into the Pedipedia. We got the Pedipedia. We got the Pedipedia. official podcast. We probably got a couple of interviews that are going to go on other things. So we're going to hold off on that. But so much to talk about in this episode. But before we get into that, I wanted to hear from you, Justin Tyler and Pete LePage. Yes. <laughs> what <laughs> what were your overall impressions of the series? I think this is the big question going on here. Could they stick the landing? I think, you know, certainly there's a lot to talk about, but I think they stuck the landing for this last episode. I'm very happy with how this ended up. How did you feel? Yeah, I I agree. Like they all of the threads came together, um, which was at the end of last episode felt like a big task. And it was also really emotionally satisfying. Like, I'm going to be honest. I I teared up. I cried. Yeah, I cried. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Was it so, the close like, up of the peen? Was that it? Yes, I was like, it's so Stop. beautiful. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Can we I'm not ready talk for my, about I'm, the dick for one episode, for Christ's sake? I'm ready for my peen close-up, Mr. DeVille. No, when I first read Watchmen as a kid, I was like, wow, that's the first time I've seen a penis. And that was very impressive to me. And that's kind of the main thing that I wanted out of the series. So I'm happy. Yeah, and you work hard to make sure that yours is identical to Dr. Manhattan's in every way. Every morning I wake it up and paint it with blue paint. You Pete, wake what it you, up? You, you wake, wake it up? up? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. How, a little sip of coffee? A cigarette? <laughs> I, I have oh, two separate alarms. Uh, <laughs> wow. One's a little low, lower. I have, I have a second One you wear table. around your waist? Yeah, yeah I bet one, the, one in my waist. I bet the, uh, the peen snoozing again. Lazy old <laughs> peen. You're going to be late for work. Come on, peen. Get it together. Pete, uh, Pete, Pete LePage, what did you think oh, of this episode? What did so you think much. about the series as a whole? Uh, I was really impressed. I mean, they took some big swings, which I wanted out of a Watchmen uh, TV show. Like uh, the, the, the graphic novel did, uh, you know, really did stuff. So I was really impressed with the powerful stuff they chose to talk about and the way they conveyed it. Um, yeah, yeah, really impressive. I mean, that last thing at the end made me a little angry, but mm. I think oh. that, um, I don't know, I was just, it was a hell of a show, very smart, very artistic, just, oh. Uh, I was very, very impressed. We'll, we'll talk about the last shot, obviously, in a little while. But let's talk about what's happened so far on Watchmen. Uh, there's, I was thinking about actually getting into this recap before we were taping the podcast. And the thing that I think is kind of fascinating about the show is given how complex it is, given how many things are going on, it's a relatively simple, straightforward story with a lot yeah. of other things going on on the side. And I think that's what's made it so appealing, that there's not really necessarily a wall to getting in. You can jump in, you can understand what's going on, and then you can pick apart things like, why is there a squid rain? Why are they talking about the Tulsa massacre? All of these things, it gives you time 
time to do that. So with that out of the way, most of the action of the show takes place in Tulsa, Oklahoma, focusing on a cop named Angela Abar. Angela Abar was attacked in 2016 as part of an event called the White Knight that was orchestrated by a racist group called the 7th Cavalry. 7th Cavalry shot up a bunch of cops. They killed a bunch of their family. But her and the... uh, Chief of police, he wasn't at the time the chief of police, but he was about to become the chief of police. Judd Crawford were left alive. They struck up a friendship. Uh, and as a result of this white night, the police in Tulsa, Oklahoma, started wearing masks and running around looking like mass vigilantes. Angela Abar took on the identity of Sister Knight, which we later found out was a 70s black exploitation film that she was aping a little bit. Uh, and there have been other characters like Red Scare, Pirate Jenny are sort of on the fringes there. A main character that we've been missing for a couple of episodes is Wade, a.k.a. Looking Glass. He wore a reflective surface on his face. Uh, he is able to see the truth in people, whether that is psychic abilities or not. We've certainly debated that a lot on the podcast. Uh, but he disappeared a couple of episodes back when he found out a big truth about the world, specifically the truth that was originally revealed in Watchmen, the comic book, that a man named Adrian Veidt, back in 1985, had released a gigantic interstellar squid on Times Square, killing three million people. Now, it wasn't actually interstellar. It was something he had created to try to stave off nuclear annihilation. Tensions had risen to unimaginable heights between Russia and the United States in particular, and that had ended up killing three million people, letting out a psychic blast that informed people that interstellar invaders were coming. And for a little while, at least, it united the world against these invaders instead of against each other. Uh, To keep things going, as we found out or surmised in the background, uh, Adrian Veidt kept dropping a squid rain throughout the world to make people think that the interstellar invaders are coming. But over the intervening 30 years... Not a lot has changed. Uh, Adrian Veidt ended up losing his fortune to a new trillionaire and new smartest lady in the world named Lady True, who has now come to Tulsa, Oklahoma herself. She has set up a base there and is building a device called the Millennium Clock that this episode we very much find out exactly what it does. But she has mentioned that, oh, it's just uh, telling time. That's it. It's just a clock. What's the big deal? And as we find out this episode, it's just a clock. That's it. It's just a clock. Relax, guys. It's just a clock. Sometimes a clock's a clock. Uh, One quick thing. Uh, Do you think in this timeline, Prince's song Purple Rain was actually Squid Rain? Oh, yeah, probably. Or or Squid Squid Rain? So it matches. Squid Squid Squid, squid, Rain. Squid 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 Rain. Yes, Pete? Did you want to say with us? Please leave Prince out of this. You guys, come on. Prince is a part of this. Prince is a part of this. Listen, there are no sacred cows when it comes to Watchmen, Don't interrupt the goddamn recap, Justin. (laughs) It takes long enough to get through already, all right? Jesus Christ. All right, all I'm saying, I've already explained that it's very simple and spent the last five minutes talking about 1% of what's going on, so don't even worry about it, Pete. Yeah, squid, squid, right. So uh, what were we talking about? Lady True. Uh, Now, Lady True also distributed a drug called Nostalgia. The drug Nostalgia allowed people ostensibly with dementia to relive their memories. Unfortunately, it was a big failure. However, Angela's grandfather, Will Reeves, who was the first character we saw in the show, he was just a kid when the Tulsa massacre happened in Oklahoma when a bunch of Ku Klux Klan members attacked 
uh, a bunch of black folks on Black Wall Street back in the day in an absolutely horrific manner. Uh, he escaped from that and eventually became a hero named Hooded Justice. Put on the cape was the first masked vigilante, sparked the whole trend, and in the meantime discovered a massive conspiracy that was tied to the Ku Klux Klan, eventually led to the 7th Cavalry that is called Cyclops. Essentially, all the racists are Cyclops. That's kind of what you need to know about that. Uh, mm. And they have certainly made their base in Tulsa, Oklahoma. As we found out in previous episodes, one of their big proponents is a guy named Senator Keene Jr., Joe Keene Jr. And no, I'm not joking about that. Wow. Oh, <laughs> oh, my wow. God. Good. <laughs> Woo! Good. We'll have don't to cut interrupt that. your own recap. You're just stretching it out because it's the last one. Come on, man. Let's go. Come squid, on. We'll squid, have to... rain. Rain, squid, 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 rain. Joe Keen originally <laughs> was using Cyclops to run for the presidency and essentially take back the presidency for the white man. But then he found out a little piece of information. The little piece of information that he found out is that Dr. Manhattan, the most powerful superhero in the world, really the the only superhero in the world is mm. not on Mars as people expected. He's actually in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, this is a big secret that Angela Abar has been keeping because he has been masquerading as a human named Cal Abar, her husband. He is, in fact, Dr. Manhattan. They met in Vietnam. They fell in love. And at the end of the last episode, the Seventh Cavalry put into motion the second part of their plan, which is to force teleport Dr. Manhattan to a abandoned ball and then steal his powers so that the white man can become the blue man. Now, we mentioned Will Reeves earlier, the nostalgia. I skipped past that a little bit because we got that amazing joke. Ian joke. I don't know who said that, but Worth it, was it. Very, it was a very good Worth joke. It. Yes. I, you uh, don't know who we said will, it. We will cut it out in post, but it really good stuff. <laughs> Stop uh, fucking milking the recap, you asshole. Let's go. Pete, this is all I got. This is the only thing I got. <laughs> uh, so he, uh, Will Reeves had a bottle of his own nostalgia, his pills. He gave those to Angela. Angela consumed all of them, relived all of his memories. So she understands her, his entire past. And then last episode, Lady True laid out her plan for Angela Abar. Turns out that Lady True was manipulating things and she wants to kill Dr. Manhattan and steal his powers. So that's kind of the lay of the land. There's a lot of other things that you probably need to know, but I think uh, let's do like 10 more minutes of recap and then we oh can kind God. of get into it, right? Life's just the ultimate recap. Thanks for the nostalgia pill, Alex, about no problem. this When TV I was show. a boy, I grew up in a small town called Port Washington, New York. Now, Port Washington, New York was on Long Island. Uh, I can't believe this, Pete hasn't stopped me yet. He's just looking better, at me. This, this better relate. Pete bait. This better relate to the your peen at some point here. <laughs> oh my Pete God. Washington, that's what we called it back in the day. Um, should we jump into this show? Can we, do it. Can we? Let's uh, so do we, it. We start on Veidt's message um, uh, that he recorded, and we see a little bit more of the operation at his well, base. Well, hold on. There, there's one thing we start on that I do think is important to mention before even uh, Veidt's message. The title screen is uh, on a clapboard. It says Watchmen. It says, I believe, season one, episode nine. It has the actual date, December 5th, 2019, on uh, at the broadcast date of the episode. And to me... 
this is kind of where I fell in love with the finale because what at the very wow. beginning, at, at the, the very, very first thing you fell in love, love at love at first sight over it here. It was love wow. at first sight. The reason is what we talked about going into this series. The big unknown for me with the series was. Are they going to try to ape the comic book like how the movie did, sort of doing it beat for beat, or are they going to try to make it like a TV show? And ultimately, what we started with in the very first episode is we started with a movie, and then we pulled back to a movie theater. Uh, If you watched it on a big screen like we talked about, you could see that they were playing with the frame rate. Uh, It looked almost like a film going by as it was happening. And throughout, they've had the American Hero story that is riffed off to TV. Uh, They had so many things that have made it clear that what they're talking about here is, yes, they're riffing off of comic books, but they've moved it on to talk about TV movies, media, the news, etc. And what this shot throughout there is that's what this episode is about. That's what the show is about. Uh, that clapboard made it very clear to the very end that they are making this about a comment on superhero movies and TV. And I thought that was such a smart way of driving that home in such a simple shot. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It was uh, very cool. Nice little and then a little meta and sort of a like, yeah. I know you've been waiting for this and action. Uh, I thought that was a both both those things I thought were very cool. Another cool thing I thought was cool was we get a little Vite uh, Ozymandias action figure uh, collection on mm-hmm. Vite's desk, mm-hmm. uh, which was very fun in relation to the comic and just a lot of this episode I think was about Vite's vanity um, mm-hmm. and really poking holes in that. Um, and this was a good start to that. I thought also when he uh, you know this is jumping ahead a little bit, but when he gets like. Goldened, he kind of turns into an action figure. So yes, he had they uh, Lady True has him take on an action figure pose. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it, it, it's showing how easily manipulated quote unquote superheroes are, which is what the, so much of the plan is, and then somehow they win in the end. Which... I think you're absolutely right about poking holes in the myth of Vite, and I thought Jeremy Irons was so funny this episode. Yeah, really. Good. But they set that up very simply at the beginning where they have. All of these Vietnamese servants, yeah, set up in Kardak. It is our Antarctica uh, supervillain slash superhero stronghold. He's doing the speech for Robert Redford, and in the middle, the guy coughs. And that, yeah. to me, was the immediate cue that, like, nope, he is going to get skewered this yeah, entire hour. Great. And he absolutely did. It was fantastic. So good. Uh, and... Well, and so this next bit of where um, the woman who we later find out is the original Bean, uh breaks into his office and f- finds his store of sperm that he has. Right. Uh, and we later find out that um, Ozymandias has never had sex because he wants to stay pure um, like Alexander the Great did. So the question is, what's his sperm plan? What's the old bank about, the old sperm bank? Uh, like, what is he saving it for? Yeah. Um, I assume that, I don't know, given his vanity, like we were just talking about, I would say he probably, after his death, will say, and I freely give my sperm to the world. And everybody will be like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah. You know, like, like, he'd, like he'd mail them to strangers? Maybe. Surprise. I think maybe if he wanted to, like, clone himself or have a bunch of mini-me's running around or something like that, if it was part of an evil plan. Or a good plan. Yeah. Um, what's evil What's evil about having a safe full of your own sperm? 
Yeah, um, I ask. I ask for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess uh, do you have to keep that stuff cold because I do. messed up. I messed up. If that's oh, you just have a nice warm pile going on. Yeah, a yeah, warm a pile. Yeah, a nice warm pile. Oh, that was too graphic, man. Why do you have set? Why do you have all those separate jars? You can just use one jar. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. The, the toughest part so, <laughs> is when you have it in a small ball jar and you have to move it to one of the larger ball jars. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. a pain. You don't want to, because you're going to spill. Right. Uh, let's keep clear, going. <laughs> it's, a, it's a square container, but I call it a ball jar. Yes, oh. uh, I know. Totally. Uh, I was really hoping you wouldn't address that. Can we gotta, fucking move on? <laughs> so um, so being uh, impregnates herself with some of the that uh, precious, precious Aussie sperm. Yeah. Uh, we jump forward to... I could have um, done without the squirting sound effect, though. I could have no, done without... Spot on. Oh, spot I, on. I love this whole scene. I love that she comes <laughs> up silently. She types into the computer. Uh, she The program that she runs to lift the Alexander portrait is Untie Knot, which goes back to a little bit of what we've uh, touched on in the uh, TV series, but it definitely goes back to the comic book series where the whole thing with uh, Adrian Vite is the Gordian Knot. That's the thing that they keep yeah. playing off with in his issue. So this goes back to that untie knot. She eventually reties knot. The password is Ramsey's two, which is the same password what an he idiot. has. I know he uses the same password in his New That's York right. office that he uses there. And I love that uh, again, in poking holes in the myth that it just uh, skewers that like he calls himself the smartest man of the world. He's kind of dumb. Yes. Yep. I mean, he's uh, he, and though, that was and, and, True's it, whole point too. Mm-hmm. In the in the same yeah in the comic he calls himself uh, he says he's not some um, radio play villain and a republic he, serial villain yeah. republic serial villain yeah and that's he literally is that this episode yes. is like he's a goofy villain and he barely saves the day again and is embarrassing the entire time yeah mm-hmm. uh, don't don't ever meet your heroes right yeah that's true yes um, my hero is uh, Pete. So yes, <laughs> I, met, I met him a long time ago. <laughs> uh, now, uh, two things that I wrote down for the scene as well. Uh, one, Lady True is sample two, three, four, six. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means anything necessarily. Certainly, that seemed to be a specific number, or maybe it was just a random number that they threw out there, and that was the whole point. Uh, and then. Uh, Beyond gives this speech where she says, I want to ride the strong winds, crush the angry waves. I couldn't find any reference for that as well. That was very Mm. curious to me. So if there are any listeners out there who were able to identify that, very curious to hear what that was. Uh, Uh, Salman, I think as we all know, uh, 2346 is the planetary nebula. Near the celestial equator. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, that's wow. pretty obvious. I'm surprised you didn't get that. Oh, okay. Wow. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> what are you talking about? Just real quick. who gave 23 you is half of 46. <laughs> who, uh, who gave you access to Google again, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> no way Pete's not using Bing. <laughs> he binged that. He binged that. Uh, so after the scene with Beyond, as you were saying, Justin, hey, we bang. jump it. We Yes, after the scene with Big, which is her name now, uh, we move ahead to the scene of Lady True coming up in a super sweet jacket, walking yeah. up to Kardak. Uh, it's very reminiscent to me of Night Owl's costume, his adorable little 
costume for, which he, he for walks a second up. for a second i thought that's what it was i thought we yeah. were gonna see uh, a flashback to him uh to night owl returning to have some information for vite but uh it wasn't it wasn't to be no uh, it, i really liked though this was a real window of how dumb vite is because he's literally like i don't have time for fans and then she's like oh but you know you're so smart and great, and then he lets her in, and it was kind of like... Well, she plays him like a fiddle this yeah. entire time, first appealing yeah. to his vanity to get in there, talking yeah. him up, buttering up, talking about how amazing his plan was with the squids, uh, how smart he was, she wants to meet the man that saved the world, uh, and then there's a point, once she has him, once she's in there with the tea, where she just turns it where she twists yeah. it and starts revealing things. Uh, but yes, Pete, the line where she was like, but you're just a man was really powerful. I thought that was great. Yeah. And I love that. She says, she says vials of cum. She like mm-hmm. just debases him. She's both buttering him up and also cutting him down at the same time. And you can yeah. tell in Jeremy Iron's performance that he's so like surprised by this and like charmed and he He's like meeting his match in a way that I think he appreciates. Well, that's what he cops to later on to jump ahead where he, uh, in the most gut-wrenching manner, ultimately tells the game warden. We actually didn't mention anything in the recap about what's been going on with Adrian Veidt. Real quick, he's been trapped on a moon of Jupiter, Europa, in a enclosure created by Dr. Manhattan filled with clones called Crookshanks and Phillips. Uh, He has been imprisoned by a main Phillips named the game warden who wears a mask, uh, and ultimately, just to jump ahead, and we'll get back to the scene, but to your point, Justin, he tells the game warden that he's not a worthy adversary, and later on, he tells says that Lady True is a worthy adversary, and I think that's exactly what he is getting at this point, is he's thrown, and he's never been thrown before. So, yeah, yeah. it's phenomenal. Hong Chow in the scene who plays uh, True is so good. So good, yeah. Oh, and yeah. She playing she's playing herself at, at several a couple different ages here and it's great you can see a little bit of the the difference in performance i feel like and she's just such a great villain because she's like so confident in her plan she like is like making fun of it as it's going along a little bit mm-hmm. uh and it's great she's a great escalation of what vite was in the comic for the series i think yeah uh especially in this episode so um we see that she talks about the the satellite that she sends into Europa to see to watch Doctor Manhattan, which obviously becomes the big linchpin of uh, of Veidt's plan. Yeah. yeah, to get back. And now there's an interesting thing that happens this episode that I was initially a little iffy about, and I do want to talk more about at the end. But this is the one of the first episodes that has used one of my least favorite devices in TV where you flash back to earlier episodes and see scenes because that always, to me, feels like you're feeding the audience what's going on uh, by connecting those dots rather than letting them just naturally remember what happened. So we do get an extrapolation of a scene here where we see Adrian had taken a bunch of dead bodies of Crookshanks and Phillips and spelled out Save Me D, so we get to see Save Mm -hmm. Me Daughter. Uh, And I appreciated that, but... By the end of the episode, there's a lot of these moments where they are flashing back in time throughout the series. Um, I have a theory about that I wanted to talk about at the end, so I'll put a pin to that. But uh, it was interesting to me, again, that they did that this episode where they hadn't really done it previous episodes. 
Uh, well, what I liked about the reveal of that, and we, we can talk about what you're talking about later, but um, the Save Me D really meant, we were meant to think it was Save Me Dr. Manhattan, mm-hmm. I think. Right. And now it's Save Me Daughter. I thought that was just a nice, uh, it's again, uh, we thought it was, Vite was debasing himself to Dr. Manhattan, his uh, like worthy adversary, quote unquote. And instead it was Save Me Daughter, someone who he never thought was worthy of his time. And he has to, again, put him, take a knee in front of her to save his life, which I just thought was a good moment where you see that difference, that juxtaposition. Ooh, yeah, I love that word. We should yeah. use that word more often on the podcast. Definitely, definitely, but definitely. I kind of think it was like, you know, he said he would never do it. And, you know, later uh, it's kind of revealed that she is like him in the, in the ego <laughs> department. So him knowing that she couldn't resist that because he is kind of playing to her ego there by saying, save me daughter, like really kind of tipping the scales of who's running shit. And acknowledging that, I thought was uh, I thought was really good on his part. And I think in the end, the reason Vite beats True and saves the day is because he knows what an egomaniac she is, so he's right. able to take advantage of that. So it's right. really he, Vite doesn't win by being smart; he wins by understanding his weaknesses and mm-hmm. the fact that True has the same ones. Well, yeah. and I think that's again, this is we're jumping all over the place here, but I think we that's, sure are. We're like, pr- it's like we're taking nostalgia pills. Ooh, this is the point of why Vite was sent to Europa in terms of the structure of the show is he doesn't totally learn his lesson as we no. find out by the end, but he certainly needed to be debased quite a bit to get to the point where he can actually save the day, even if it's, you know, feeding his own ego. He He doesn't grow completely. He doesn't turn over a new leaf, but he does change maybe five ten percent and that's what we need to get adrian to the point where he's at at the end of the episode yeah um and it made me uh the moment where we see the save me d be save me daughter made me think imagine the scene where lady true is just watching her satellite feed and she's like holy shit my dad's on that planet (laughs) i guess i'll send a, a probe over there and gold him up and bring him back home yeah, no. uh, classic little... daughter behavior. Someday yeah, I hope exactly. that my daughter does that for me. Me too. That's why I have two daughters because I want to make oh. sure I got one. Smart. Smart. Me. Which smart. real quick, uh, Justin? Which one is the backup daughter? Oh, of course it's. <laughs> uh, there's a couple uh, of just... other things that happened in the scene that I wrote down that I thought were neat. Uh, Vite uh, is pretty pissed off. This scene takes place in 2008. He's already sent his message to President Robert Redford and said, uh, I manipulated things, so you became president, so let's work together to make the world a better place. Turns out Robert Redford said, no, I could have become president anyway. That has nothing to do with you. And Veidt says, as if some cowboy actor could obtain the presidency. And that's a line straight out of... Yeah, it's straight out of Watchmen, the comic book, where there's actually a tricky little thing. Uh, we're supposed to think as readers they're talking about Ronald Reagan when they're actually talking about Robert Redford. Uh, and then the other one that I wanted to talk about... R.R. R.R. Uh, uh, the other thing that uh, I thought was kind of fascinating and I feel like uh, potentially deserves more uh, exploration is... Uh, True really turns the scene when she sees 
him dumping squids everywhere. She points out that the squids, he points out that the squids are kind of on a random path, so nobody could detect it. Uh, and she points out that Dr. Manhattan was doing the same thing as a way of skewering Veidt's intellect. But she said, you had a genius idea 20 years ago, but you're doing the same thing, just smaller. Yeah. Now, that to me seemed a pointed commentary, not just on Adrian Veidt, but something else. And I think people are going to read a lot into it. Do you think they're talking about Alan Moore there? Do you think they're Ooh. talking about comic books as a whole? What did you take away from it? I don't think Alan Moore. Um, I think because that, Alan Moore didn't really do that. Uh, he's, right. He went on to do, do other stuff and is like, oh, I would never go back and do that again. I did it. So mm-hmm. I think it's sort of maybe giving Alan Moore a little bit credit for not doing that. But otherwise, yeah, I think it's a comment uh, perhaps more on the superhero uh, entertainment industry just as a whole. Like, why aren't you telling more original stories? You're doing the same Spider-Man, but it's just like a, a smaller version of it, a more mm-hmm. focused version of it. So I think I think that's the take. Yeah, yeah I was just – I think it was just more of just an insult to his intellect. I see what you mean. Um, that, that, you know, looking at that now, I, I, it's, it's a lot clearer, but I also think that like, she's really toying with her food, playing with her food here. Like she's enjoying the fact that she has, uh, you know, this guy beat in her mind. So she's just really enjoying like the compliment, the backhand, you know, so I think that that's kind of why I took away. Uh, Yeah, the funny uh, uh, part of it as well is that ultimately her plan, at least in terms of execution and level of destruction, is kind of the same thing that he did, just smaller. So she (laughs) owns herself in a certain way at the same time. Uh, The other thing that comes out in this scene is we find out that her plan is to destroy Dr. Manhattan, steal his power. She wants $42 billion from Adrian Veidt. He says he's going to give her nothing. So in the timeline, because they don't exactly lay this out, she goes ahead and destroys him financially, like I think in two years, if I have the timeline correct, uh, to the point where we find him with Dr. Manhattan later on. Karnak is broken. His TVs aren't working. He's haggard. He's so upset by everything that he ultimately just wants to head off to Europa and be loved by Phillips and Crookshanks. Uh, So she's pretty successful pretty quickly. Um, But overall, her plan, and this is something that I think plays out through the episode, is what are what is our relationship with God? Religion isn't something that necessarily has been overtly played with in the series, but I do think it gets played in this episode. And what True is ultimately asking is, why doesn't God fix everything? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? And yeah, and why do we worship this God? We can, taking the mantle, we can take the mantle from this God. Even mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr. was like, you know, he could have done more. Right. Yeah. The interesting thing that I think the show does, the side that it falls on, and this plays out also in the Seventh Cavalry's plan, where they're saying, we can do it better. We can do it better than Dr. Manhattan. He's had, and Will Reeves says towards the end of the episode, uh, he had all of this power, could have probably done more with it. That's how we often feel about God and religions, right? That, you know, 
people make excuses of, oh, it's all part of God's plan. This is all part of God's plan. But then there's a question of why is there war? Why do people die? Why do babies die? Why do people commit suicide? What does any of this have to do with anything? Why does God come down and fix things? And that is ultimately what Lady True is saying, what Joe Keen is saying, what even Will Reeves is intimating towards the end is if we had God's powers, we could probably do a better job, right? But I think the show comes down on the side of Dr. Manhattan is who Dr. Manhattan is. That is how God is. The plan is the plan. Go with it and things will happen badly. Things will happen well. And that's where we need to follow along. It's more of like a burger time understanding of God. Okay, don't explain. Yeah, don't do explain, explain or don't explain. I, no, I, like I would need some it. explanation. <laughs> so, but burger time, like a one burger comes out and you deal with it within the game. And then another right. one comes out, but then all of a sudden, a lot more come out at once. Mm-hmm. And so, God's mm-hmm. there trying to get the burgers in the right place, and there's just too many. I think, uh, you know, that's kind of like what Jim Carrey realized when he was playing God, you know, is like there's a lot of prayers coming in and it's hard to uh, spend time and answer all of them. I know. That's another example of burger time, uh, the burger time religion I'm starting. Yeah. uh, Both of these examples are great. And I don't know why anybody (laughs) listens to this podcast. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you're. If you're going to start a Burger Time religion, I'm going to start a nostalgia pill uh, company because when I'm old, oh. I want to be able to do that. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you what, Pete, I, I hate to tell you, Pete, it's much easier to start a religion than invent a pill that uh, brings memories. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see who is successful. We'll see. Okay. A lot of very stupid people have started religions, and I hope to join them. Yeah. <laughs> Just to contribute a little bit, I, w- I want to say I'm a little more of an Evan Almighty man myself than Bruce Almighty. But wow, you know, cool. wow, way to have the worst take somehow. <laughs> uh, uh, let's jump ahead. Let's keep so going, going forward. Uh, so we uh, we jump to uh, Vite trapped on Europa. We, the ticking clock kicks in as Vite rejects her. Love the that coming back. Uh, he uses the horseshoe to um, dig his. He has already used the horseshoe to dig him way out. Dig his way out, proving that how invaluable that was. Yeah, in the oh, most a, sort a of little, simple a little way. thing about the timeline. So, when we saw Vite in the last episode, when the game warden approaches him in the prison and he's reading Fog Dancing, that's year seven. The place that we pick up with him now, it's apparently taken, I guess, at least two years, maybe three years, for uh, Lady True to build a rocket and send the rocket off to him on Europa. It lands there on the eighth anniversary of his uh, landing on Europa, and then it takes him about a year to travel back. And in case it wasn't totally clear, uh, because they don't 100% lay it out, but I do think it's pretty clear that the rocket is what fell on the Clark farm back a couple of episodes back when we first met Lady True. She bought the land there. He was encased in gold. And like we suspected, he has been encased in gold and sitting in her vivarium for the past several episodes before she ultimately unmelts him. So uh, we can get back to the scene. I just wanted to make sure people understand that part. Yeah, good timeline. Um, but before we get to the gold statue, um, he escapes um, the prison. Um, the game warden is there to stop him. Uh, shoots him. He catches the bullet. Like which, he does in the comic book. Like he does in the Classic. comic book. I got to say, if you don't, if you haven't read the comic, this must seem fucking crazy. Yes. <laughs> oh, this, this is the thing that seems crazy? Well, it's just I, just highly specific out of nowhere thing where Vite can just catch a bullet and then he uses the horseshoe to shoot him with his hand in the bullet. 
uh, crazy in the war. No, he just stabs him with it. He just stabs him with the horseshoe because the horseshoe got sharpened from uh, cutting through all the stone and breaking out of there. Yeah, I thought it was even crazier that he shot him. No, that would be crazy. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, that's also not how bullets work. Um, So uh, we get a great line from the warden that masks make men true. Cruel, cruel, Uh, cruel. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I couldn't hear it then. Yeah, wow. I thought <laughs> I you thought were true. so thrown by the, somebody. You're okay. Yeah, you were thrown by the horseshoe shooting the bullet that you didn't yeah, catch wow, in the dialogue. Yeah, wow. You took a. What happened? Oh, did your kid come in and distract you from watching, or what happened there? No, it's hard to hear the feed when we watch this. Uh, it, but masks make men true. I thought was such a better line. Yeah, no, that's nope. not what it is. Uh, what actually happens is ah. that he stabs him. He's holding. The final Phillips, who was the first Phillips ever to be made. It turns out that this was Veidt's command, that Veidt commanded him to become the game warden, to put on a mask so that he could have something to pass the time while he was on Europa, because he knew he would be there for several years. Uh, And the Phillips says... Uh, was I good master? Was I a worthy adversary? And Veidt says, no, uh, but you passed the time. Uh, And he asks him about why he wears the mask, why he made him do that. And he says, because masks make men cruel. And it's an interesting flip of the way that Laurie Blake looks at it. Laurie looks at masks as a way of... Uh, hiding your trauma. Uh, oh, we also didn't mention Lori Blake at all in any of the recap or anything like that. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't even worry about it. Uh, but Lori thinks that masks hide your uh, tragedy. Vite thinks that you wear a mask because they allow you to be cruel. He did wear a mask as Ozymandias. And as a note, he's no longer wearing a mask this entire episode. So I think that also points to the 5 to 10% softening of Adrian Veidt that has happened over his time on Europa. And there's another interesting moment that I, I wasn't sure what to take away with, but as he walks off, there's a line of Phillips and Crookshanks who are saying goodbye to him. They still love him after all of this. And he gets to the final Crookshanks, and the Crookshanks kisses him on the cheek, and he pauses and looks at her before he gets on the rocket ship that had said. Why do you think he pauses? Well, I think it's a a flashback to the moment he first saw the Lord and Lady having sex. And it was just like that little moment of like, oh, that was Dr. Manhattan, though. Huh? That was Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan. Am I I having a a, a mental breakdown? I think he Uh, was just pausing because it's like he's finally leaving this place after (laughs) seven years. But I also wish if he was like five to whatever percent nicer, he could have just said to the guy. Yeah, you're a worthy adversary. Just lie to him. Jesus, you know, like, he was complete dick to him the whole time. He was well, a dick. he's a uh, Also, Justin, uh, you got to calm down on those ball jars. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's, I guess that takes up a lot of my time. Well, let me just say, masks make men true, what I thought it was. I thought it would have been a nice just uh, opposite side of the hide your trauma, and then it, it sort of moves you beyond your trauma. Mm-hmm. But I guess that is never meant to be. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, stop trying to push this thing that didn't happen. Hey, man, <laughs> if you don't like this story, write your own. Yeah, exactly, wow. man. That's the spirit. Um, yeah, so, write your uh, own Watchmen. We, uh, I, I do think it was just a moment of him. Maybe I mean, who knows what? Re- maybe he had a bunch of weird relationships with these clones mm-hmm. uh, that we never saw. So he took a moment to be like, hey, we had I, a good run, didn't we? <laughs> 
I think it was I think it was pausing to because he's not sure. He knows he's going back from a place where everybody loves him, even if he hated it, even if it wasn't intellectually challenging, to something that will be much more challenging that he is going to have to face down Lady True and deal with that in some way. So I think there's a moment where he thinks, should I actually leave? And then ultimately he does get to the rocket ship. They case him in gold. He's landed. He's been kept in the vivarium. Uh, and Lady True is taking him out so that he can see her turn on the Millennium Clock and fulfill her plan to kill Dr. Manhattan and steal his powers. Before she does, though, there's a great moment where she turns to Beyond and says, listen, there's something I need to tell you. He may say something when Mm. he wakes up, and she says, I'm your mother. She's already figured it out. Uh, And this is the first time, like Adrian Veidt being thrown, where we see Lady True be thrown in the episode. There's certainly a parallel there where her plans keep getting messed up, and she... Gets more and more petulant over the course of the episode, which I thought was a fantastic performance choice. She's acting like a spoiled child the entire time. Uh, but then Adrian does get uh, does get uh, unmelted or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Lady True gives him some water uh, and he says uh, that he's been trapped on Europa. Dr. Manhattan sent it there and she has another great line where she says, wow, there must be a cool story behind that. And yeah. I, I love giving her these colloquial phrases like come and cool and other little words that they throw in there that she's this insanely rich, insanely smart person, but it makes her feeling like she's almost appropriate, like she's a kid at the same time. Well, and also it's a it's a the counterposition of uh, of Ozymandias, who's like all this flowery language, and like here's another speech I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna quote some uh, some poetry, and she's like, "Cool, dude. Let's see what you got. <laughs> Tell me what cool happened." Cool story, idiot. bro. Exactly, and I think that's that's just another subversion of how the uh, the Republic serial guy, serial villain would be. Yeah. Uh, so he does get, he, uh, does turn to beyond, looks at her eyes and is like, you cloned your mother. And she says, I thought he would say something. So that's another fun moment. Uh, then he gets dressed in more age appropriate clothes, which is a gray outfit. It still does have the Ozymandias eye on it, which is kind of like the eye of Cyclops. Now, uh, there's a lot of different eyes that we see here from the squid eye to the Cyclops eye uh, to the eye of Ozymandias that keep getting played throughout. Uh, I will mention, I didn't pick up on this at all. Uh, my wife mentioned this to me that the O of Cyclops on the head is kind of the same thing or the opposite thing of Dr. Manhattan's hydrogen atom on his head. So mm. that's another little connection riff on the same sort of thing. And I don't think wow. it necessarily means more other than it is this thematic visual connection throughout. Uh, but then we get another thematic connection that's wait, played wait, throughout. Wait. Yep. I just want to say, it kind of sounds like we have the wrong Zalbin on the podcast. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Bring us the other Zalbin. Yeah. The people, I mean, the people like are clamoring. She's really got some great insight going on here and, and missed some stuff that you clearly oh, right. didn't here she even is. notice. Hello. Oh, oh yeah. She's God. vaguely British. It's me, Alex's wife. <laughs> oh, no, you. see... Alex, you're like the Ozymandias, and she's like the Lady True. Oh, we need her. Yeah, we need okay. her fresh take. Yeah, we need some uh, fresh takes. 
that's, you know, I don't want to tell you guys what is behind my painting of Alexander and the horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day, but it's pretty <laughs> fucked up. Wow. The <laughs> other don't... famous Alexander yep. <laughs> leader. Oh, boy. Uh, so he does get dressed, and we finally find out what the Millennium Clock is. Essentially, it's also a gigantic egg. That's what I was getting at, is the other theme that we've been playing throughout the series. Yeah. Uh, the egg yeah, cracks the- and opens, and a floating ball comes out. Uh, Ozymandias. The yolk. The yolk. Uh, and Ozymandias. Uh, the, this is the point when they head into the square, into town square, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, with the newsstand, uh, we get this great moment where we see the newsstand. Yeah, the newsstand. Re- re- of course, the newsstand is going to be the site of the disaster, just like the comic book. I yeah. love that. Uh, but yeah, it's Vite saying the end is nigh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, I looked this up on, I can't remember whether it was Quora or Yahoo Answers, uh, which is my main go-to for searching for things. Uh, yeah. But he says, and Palestine has become a widow for Egypt, which is the Berdeftaf Stel. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, uh, but it's exactly what Adrian Veidt says. It's sort of a uh, precursor of the end of days. Uh, and yeah, they see the ball throating through Tulsa. Um, wait, wait, I just also, wanted to say, yeah. there was a fun line where she a- asked for her papers instead of, you know, having her mom do it. And then the guy was like, uh, you know, it's nice to see you in the flesh. And she was like, this is the last time I'll be in it, which uh, I thought was a crazy thing to say to somebody on the street. But also kind of really, t- uh, you know, she is very much like I'm going to transition to being into a god, like has no like questions about her plans not working uh yeah i usually do that to people when they say it's nice yeah. to see you in the flesh so pretty nice. typical thing i thought it's a great wow. way to keep people interested in what you're doing if yeah. you say like last time you're gonna see me in the flesh they're like hey what's <laughs> up with you dude and there's another not to keep play, uh complimenting hog chow but there's another great reaction where he calls after her and he says, hey, nice hat. And she just turns and puts her hands on her heart and goes, aw. That was was very funny. So funny. Uh, But then we cut over. I I also want to mention, because this is the point where we start to get to other things in the episode, but it was such a ballsy move to have, I want to say, half an hour of the show where it's all about Adrian Veidt before we get to any of the other characters, basically. Specifically the main characters. Yes. <laughs> Which is uh, amazing. Yeah. Like, I love that they took the time there. I love that there was so much more, but uh, I cannot imagine the viewing experience from the viewing audience at home when this is broadcast. And I'm curious to see what the Twitter reaction was where people being like, what happened to Wade? What happened to Angela? What happened to Laurie? Yeah. What happened to Dr. Manhattan? What are you doing to me right now? Is this it's entire gonna episode going to be Adrian Veidt? Uh, but then ultimately we do wrap around to that. So, Justin, mm-hmm. back to you. And then we get into the main sort of main characters and all the crazy shit that they're dealing with in this moment. Uh, we ha- we go to the abandoned mall. The Cyclops plan is coming together. We had a, a random old white guy villain who we find out is uh, the older Senator Keen. Yeah, uh, which was a fun uh, – I love the way they made him just like – here's the – it's like an 80s movie villain where it's just like yeah. evil-looking dude. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it is kind of – I haven't really dug into in my head what it necessarily means that Senator Keen is also part of Cyclops because as we found out from Watchmen, the comic book – 
Senator Keene Sr. Uh, is the guy who outlawed mass vigilantes back in the day. So what it necessarily means that he is part of this racist organization, that everything he did probably was for Cyclops, I'm not 100% sure. But it's certainly dipping even harder into the context of the comic book, similar to how they repainted, recontextualized Hooded Justice a couple of episodes back and other things. Um, But I do think in the greater sense, this little thing, yes, it does paint him as an 80s villain, but it also means that now that we are done with the TV show, that it's worth going back and reading through the comic again to see what this TV show has changed and what's it's changed in terms yeah. of the context. Totally. I don't like that phrase, done with the TV show. Please don't say that again. Nah. No, done with TV. This was the last episode of TV. We're done after this point. Yeah, we're going back to magazines. Uh, love it. Love a good time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we uh, we see Laurie, who um, in the recap you didn't say, but she uh, was formerly Silk Spectre. She now works for the FBI and like uh, hunts down superheroes, basically. She used to date Dr. Manhattan, so some fucked up uh, interactions coming your way in a sec. Yeah. Um, so uh, Laurie's there, uh, and of course, Looking Glass is there, who she calls Mirror Guy, and one last dig. Um, yeah, and he's like, it's Looking Glass. Yeah, it's funny. Love that. Uh, and we they teleport Dr. Manhattan in, as we saw at the end of last episode. We get Keen's like, villain speech full of alt-right talking points. Well, we should um, also mention there's a fantastic reaction from Gene Smart when she first sees Dr. Manhattan, she immediately realizes who he is. And she's, there's several times in the episode where Jean Smart, in a very different way from Lady True, reverts almost to being a little girl again, the young Laurie. And this is one of those moments when she first sees Dr. Manhattan teleported in, where she looks at him and she says, John, John, and she's crying. And there's this soft, Uh, wide-eyed face that she has. Uh, It also happens later on when the chair falls down and Vite looks over her, where the way that they shoot her, her face, all of the lines have come out. She's younger again, almost. I thought that there had something crazy had happened where they had reverted her in age or something like that. And then towards the end of the episode, when they're at Kardak, and this is jumping ahead, but uh, she turns to Vite and kind of very proudly says that she hunts mass vigilantes and works for the FBI. And yeah. he was part of the older generation. He, she, despite everything that happened, looked up to him as one of her elders. So we get this several times throughout. We've seen this badass comedian, Lori Blake, but here we get to see Silk Spectre, Lori Blake. And I thought that was very cool because it all came out through Gene Smart's performance. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That was, it was great. I, I, was a little disappointed Dr. Manhattan didn't acknowledge her at all. Yeah, I thought we were going to get a scene between them, but we didn't. Yeah, and You know, at least nod in her general direction, say what I up, mean, you know. So as we find out, he is in a cage that is made of lithium batteries that have been made with Dr. Manhattan particles, essentially. So yeah. he is being, this is what they were doing in the first episode. This is the barrel of watch batteries that they were gathering, several barrels of watch batteries. They melted them down, made them into this cage, and he can't concentrate. Um, so I get, that it would have been nice to have that, but I appreciate that they waited for the only real conversation Dr. Manhattan has is the one with Angela right before he dies, which we'll get to in a moment. 
Um, I, yeah, I real thought, quick. I mean, all this stuff is uh, sort of uh, just getting to that moment, really. Like mm-hmm. a series of things happen. Uh, one thing I thought was super interesting was that the Cyclops cracked the sort of their whole plan because of the White Knight, because of Dr. Manhattan's love uh, for uh, Angela spurs him into um, – teleporting the dude away because mm-hmm. he doesn't understand his powers. He just teleports him. He's alive in New Mexico. And that's how they realize that Dr. Manhattan is in Tulsa. Um, I also so, did not realize it was pronounced Yia flats. I don't know if he was doing that wrong. I thought it was Gila flats, but I guess not. Yeah. Yeah. Is it pronounced Yia monster as well? Definitely. That's oh. uh, for sure. Uh, what it is. One thing also I thought was weird is, Keen bringing Laurie to uh, Tulsa still doesn't quite make sense, despite the fact that he calls it out in this plan. The thing that I was thought, uh, one of the things that I thought was kind of fascinating about this show, as opposed to Watchmen, the comic book, and Damon Lindelof is cop to this, is they wanted to make sure there was a clear villain. Like, there's no clear villain in Watch with a comic book, everybody is a mix of a bunch of different things. Here, Key Jr. is a villain. He's giving a villain speech. They are racists. There is nothing good yeah. about them. Yeah. They are definitely the antagonists. I think we could certainly argue about Lady True, and I would like to talk about Lady True and her plan a little bit when we get to that. But they're bad guys through and through, and so all of their stuff is, like he says, half-baked. He wants to bring Laurie Blake there to gloat. Yeah, he wants an audience. Yeah, he wants an audience. He puts Dr. Manhattan in a cage. This is exactly what they have been doing the entire time throughout history, and as we've seen in the TV show, is they're just being evil fucking racists and going with their every impulse to destroy black people and make them prostrate in front of them. They... Take even though he's a blue man, they take a black man, throw him in a cage, and mock him the entire time. It's horrific to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they then are fully punished. Uh, yes. when, uh <laughs> which was great to have it happen so quickly. Um, yeah, Keen also, gets into the chamber. Go ahead. B- Blue's reaction to them like dying is really awesome. Yeah, I mean, everybody like. So they, uh, he gets in the chamber. Um, Angela's like, hey, dude, don't do that. I think you don't understand what's happening. He's like, I think I got this. Uh, and She's like, just, nice panties. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And now Angela uh, breaks a dude's fingers, one of the final remaining 7th Cavalry people, to find out where Dr. Manhattan is. We get shots of her literally shooting people in the head as she runs in there, guns a-blazing. Hell uh, yeah. At, and she tries a couple of different techniques. She, Like you said, she tries to appeal to Joe Jr. and say, like, listen, this is all Lady True's plan. She let you steal these batteries. This is all part of this. Don't do this. Uh, and then he says something like, why would I listen to a black bitch? And Regina King's expression in that <laughs> yeah. moment is amazing, where she just turns from, like, I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to your best nature to be like, oh, fuck you, dude. I'm going to fucking yeah. kill you. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Incredible. Like the fact that this show is so confident in their actors to let them act, to let them feel the moment is one of the things that has made it so special across the board. Yeah. Uh, And we get Keen gets gooed. He gets gets gooed gooed. right away. Um, True shows up. She didn't doesn't expect to see Angela there, which I thought was uh, interesting. And she has magnets, gun magnets, uh, which is a classic comic book thing. Uh, (laughs) 
they uh she um opens the gate we get a uh true uh, then kills all the cyclops people and well, Dr. Mar- there's a couple of things there so she teleports everybody into the town square including the setup of the church that we saw from the very first episode that Seven Cavalry was filming in. Um, she teleports them near the Dr. Manhattan phone booth, the ones that she has set up to have people falsely call God. So I think that's important to note. The cage is there. Angela's there. Everybody's ears are ringing, very similar to the squid explosion back in Times Square in 1985. So I think it's safe to say she's using the same teleportation equipment that Adrian Veidt developed back in the day. So even though she's pushing things forward, she's really extrapolating and following up on what her father has done. Uh, Wade vomits for the first time. Very funny running joke. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just him vomiting. It reminded me not to call out another franchise, but there's a funny running joke with uh, John Diggle in the Arrowverse stuff where every time the Hell flash... Yeah. Every time the Flash brings him somewhere, the Flash yeah. speeds him, and he just turns and vomits every single time, and it pleasantly reminded me of that. Uh, but Wade vomits, uh, and Lady True very mockingly is like, oh, where's Joe Keen? Where is he? <gasps> he didn't go into the chamber, did he? Oh, let's just go over there and on that up. And he's been completely melted. He blorps all over the place. Uh, Lori freaks out and I think smashes his skull or something like that, whatever has been left. Uh, But Lady True explains that if you don't filter the nuclear energy, it'll pop you like a grape every time. So everybody who is asking, how can the 7th Cavalry do this? How would they have the equipment to do this stuff? How would they have the know-how? First of all, they didn't. And second of all, it was all Lady True feeding them some information the entire time. Yeah, yeah, and I love how Angela just rolls up and it's like, hey, you're using all of her shit. You're stupid. Uh, just from one second, she sees how flawed their plan yeah, is. Yeah, it's funny because it's like there's so much going on. And then when you stop and you look, there's literally true labels over everything they yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, hold on a sec. Yeah. But again, short-sighted racists. Um, yeah. And that's and a Lady True dispenses with them in that fashion. Like, you're not even worth my time to talk to now and teleports well, them to. they were like. You know, hey, enough with this speech. You're going to kill us, aren't you? And she's like, oh, you're going to die. Like, that was a fun moment. Yeah, the the important thing to note there, though, is this also explains what the deal was between Will Reeves and Lady True. The deal was that Will Reeves gave up the information of who Dr. Manhattan was so that she could complete her plan to become Dr. Manhattan. And in exchange, she would do what the Minutemen never did back in the day, which is take care of Cyclops for him. Yeah. Yeah. And you have all of the Cyclops senior leadership are here to watch Joe Keen Jr. become Dr. Manhattan. So she I don't think she teleported them. I think she disintegrated them like they're dead. Uh, dead. And that means she got rid of racism. There's no more racism in the world. So it's done. So that's a very positive result. That's a positive result to this moment. I I got (laughs) to say, though, like the. When the old guy made that kind of like Cyclops symbol, that was crazy, Uh, specifically because like uh, on Twitter, when I was like after I watched this thing, there were a bunch of like people doing that white supremacy. I was just like, oh, my God, it bothers me so much. that It's still a thing. But like then when they all disappeared and you had like the wheelchair, like move a little bit. I thought that was like also very powerful. Cool. The 
The wheel, oh, wheelchair, not the will yeah. chair. I thought you were talking about Will Reeves' chair. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think they got all disintegrated. She does kill them, uh, and then she moves on to the next part of her plan, which is to become Dr. Manhattan. The giant floating ball is over her. Uh, they need, oh, first they no, need to stop Dr. Manhattan Bowers. That's important to mention. Well, and actually before that, um, Dr. Manhattan teleports the heroes away uh, right, using yeah. the, the goo to uh, teleport them. And that was just like a sort of the most superhero movie or Avengers-esque uh, mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. which despite the fact that they're sort of uh, subverting um, the uh, superhero genre, they're also honoring it at the moment here. This is this episode as a whole. I love this episode. This, to me, was, relatively speaking, the most straightforward episode, just in terms of feeling like a superhero movie, to your point, Justin, feeling like they needed to finish up the plot. They were jamming through the plot. It's not like the sixth episode where they're uh, marinating in this idea of racism and inherited trauma in the history of America. Uh, There's certainly notes of that throughout, and there are visual things that bring it all back um, that we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, it almost forwent a lot of the thematic text in favor of finishing up the plot in this episode, I felt like. Yeah. Which was okay. Yeah, it has to get to the... You have to finish the story at some point. I I would like to say there was a funny line here where Lori was like, oh, shit, am I dead when she saw a fight? That was kind of a cool moment. That was funny, yeah. But, yeah, like, it's mostly just... uh, We get get this great moment where um, Dr. Manhattan, as he's dying... um, I'm in every moment that we were together all at once. Oh, that that's I where I was, got choked up. I got choked up. I feel like they give you enough sort of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, like you sort of feel like he might survive and then mm-hmm. he dies. And yeah. I thought that was just really well played. Yeah. I also love them letting him be Cal once before the end. Exactly, I thought that was yeah. very sweet, very sad. That's certainly a callback to that incredible line from the eighth episode. This is the moment when he looks at Angela and reveals, yes, this is the moment when I fell in love with you and I fell in love with you at every moment. So this to me was the point where these flashback scenes, like I was talking about earlier, started to work for me because they started to feel like they were tied to Dr. Manhattan and the Dr. Manhattan of all versus just being a editing device that is used in TV and movies. I feel, I feel like they set it up because of nostalgia, because so much of the show and the great episodes of the show are about sort of pieces from history falling mm-hmm. together. I and think uh, you're both right. Whoa, oh, that's thanks, even Pete. crazier. Wow. You know who's changed the most <laughs> over the course of the show? You, Pete. I was going to say you're peen, but that we, I guess we don't know that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for uh, checking it out, by the way. I appreciate it. Hey, that. I'm always happy to take a look. You got to wake that thing up. Yes. Um, so we reveal the Vite's plan. He wants to freeze the squid um, and rain it down on uh, Lady True's plan. Um, they basically it, go and do that. Um, yeah, they do. Uh, he is. There were frozen. two points in this episode with Vite in particular that I was super stressed out. Uh, and one of them was the rocket ship where I was like, just go to the rocket ship. Why are you taking so long? Just go to the rocket ship. Stop walking slowly. <laughs> run to the rocket ship. And where I thought maybe he wasn't going to get off. The second part was when he was shitting on Wade the entire time in Karnak, and they need to stop this thing. Wade is looking around. He realizes this is where they sent the squid from, that this was Vite's whole plan. And again, it was very stressful to watch that because it felt like 
maybe Wade is going to screw this up. Maybe Wade is going to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. You're the guy that ruined my life. And ultimately, it was very Rorschach, Uh, very Rorschachy moment. I I was stressed out when uh, Dr. Manhattan was saying to Angela, like, hey, step back. Uh, and then when Angela's on the phone and they're telling Lori's like, run, run. And she's not moving. That was very stressful to me. Well, we should also mention. So when Dr. Manhattan explodes and exudes this energy right before true does it, Angela is blown backwards. Exactly how hooded justice was thrown through the window back in the day. So again, we get a visual riff there before she ultimately hits her head on the Dr. Manhattan booth and falls unconscious. Meanwhile, they're in Karnak coming up this plan to make a squid rain, squid, squid, squid rain. Yep. You guys are Uh, awful. And Uh, he says that it's going to, it's nothing sacred. He says it's going to fall on Tulsa like a Gatling gun and obliterate everything in the area, specifically that the squids, the way that he created them, wouldn't hurt anybody. So he turns them into a weapon once again. So we do get a rerun. We do see uh, squids destroying thing. But it also, as it starts to rain down on Tulsa, is sound-wise and visually exactly like the Gatling gun that was on the airplane that attacked during the Tulsa massacre back in the first episode. Yeah, the Gatling gun, the most racist of guns. Yes, that's true. Never hang out with a Gatling gun. It's very uncomfortable to drink with. Uh, Noted racist Dave Gatling (laughs) invented that gun. Uh, but I appreciated that. Like, that's one of the things that I really liked about this episode as well is they did figure out a way to bring it back that rift on the first episode without explicitly being the first episode once again. Yeah. Um, uh, so as we, we go through, the um, Lady True gets a bunch of holes put in her. Um, everybody, uh, it seems well, like everybody's dying, but. Yeah, she gets Stigmata with Lady Tree. She does become God very briefly, though she doesn't get the Dr. Manhattan powers. We also see uh, the the cross in the background says, praise waiteth for no man. Uh, And as the giant ball falls on her and crushes her, she in Vietnamese says, motherfucker. Jesus Mm -hmm. also falls down at the same time. Uh, So God is dead at this point, I think, fair to say. Uh, and then Angela makes a run for it, which I thought yeah, was finally, interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. She dodged those uh, dancing between the raindrops there. Right. Um, she escapes. She runs to the theater and meets meets up with Will, who um, is there with the kids. And this um, is hiding safely. in the dreamland, just like like he talks about. This is what Will did back in the first episode. Yeah, but at yeah. the beginning, it's almost a reverse of what he did in a way because he started in the Dreamland Theater watching the Bass Reeves movie with his mom, who was playing the piano, and then they ran out of there to escape from the Tulsa massacre. Angela is doing the opposite. She is running into it to join back to her grandfather. Now, this is the thing that I wanted to talk about earlier because we start to get more flashbacks here. Uh, and I think two things are going on. One is that Angela is accepting her legacy. That's why I think we spend so much time on the scene. Her hanging out with Will is she has ran away from her history her entire life. Uh, it's been taken away from her. This is her accepting it. This is finally her getting her family back, getting her history back, owning her trauma and figuring out a way to move forward, even though the love of her life is dead. Uh, and then the second thing is 
Well, I'll talk about the second thing in a second because I think it's more appropriate to talk about it in a moment. Uh, but they have a very quiet conversation there in the Dreamland Theater, uh, talking about everything that's happened. And this but is we the also, second. Yeah, we also get to see where Doctor Manhattan sent the kids because I was worried about that. Like he vanished them away, and then this is where they ended up. Yeah, he said yeah. that last episode. He said, "I sent them to the theater to hang out with your dad." Yeah, I know, but saying that, I was like, in what time, when, when are they at, you know what I mean? Like, it was a lot, like, sure, you said that, but I, you know, it was nice oh, to see that they like were okay. A, maybe yeah. at Dinosaur Times or something? Yo, who the yeah, fuck you, knows, man? It's hard to he's tell. He's been, place. he's all over the place. Um, we get to a great conversation. Will talks about his origin, the mask, uh, the line, and I hope I have this one correct. Uh, you can't heal uh, heal things with a mask. Wounds need air to heal. Yeah, the uh, wounds need air to heal was such a powerful line. No, the line. actual line was wounds need bears to heal. Ah, Sorry no. about man, I got to fix my from. speakers or something. Zalvin, yeah. that um, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, well, a bear can, like, lick your wounds a little bit. That's true. Whenever I get true. a little cut on my toesies, I uh, I go into the woods and a bear licks my wounds. No, man. Ask Archie Andrews. Bears don't heal. Wounds. Um, <laughs> they make wow. them. Uh, and we talked about this earlier that Will says, you know, Dr. Manhattan. Oh, this is later. Will says oh, Dr. Manhattan could have done a little bit more, yeah. uh, which I think is a little sort of insensitive to his granddaughter who lost yeah, the right? love of her life. Yeah, um, the, Angela's you know. reactions throughout this end sequence are kind of fascinating. She does let herself crumble. She lets herself cry and feel it after her conversation with Will in the theater where they're sitting there. Uh, but after that, she almost seems numb a lot of the episode. I'll, all right. Here's I want to throw something out at you. So. This is very Watch much jump, now. jumping to the end of the episode, but there's certainly an implication that potentially Angela gets some sort of Dr. Manhattan powers at the end. Right. Yeah. My feeling was that we're almost seeing that throughout a lot of this end sequence. And certainly it's meant to be ambiguous at the end, but her seeing her memories of what happened is very similar visually to the way that we saw Dr. Manhattan living through his memories in the previous episode, her being relatively numb, but not completely numb to her feeling also very similar to Dr. Manhattan. So my take on it is that starting with the sequence, that's almost, she's already become this. She's become this Angela Manhattan, if you will. And at least they're seeding in the idea that that is possible. Yeah. Uh, which is, I guess we'll talk about that in the other podcast, but which is exciting and surprising at the same time. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, back at Karnak, meanwhile, uh, we get to see what's going on with everybody else. They go into a hangar. Uh, we get to see Archie. Which oh, is yeah, great. that was a great moment. Very cool. And uh, Lori wants to arrest Vite. Uh, which, yeah, well, we and we get also a great line. Though, I, I appreciated the fact that they like filled in the blanks a little bit because we've assumed that the cops got their technology from Dan Dryberg, from Night Owl, but they pretty explicitly state that. Uh, and then we get the moment with... Lori wanting to arrest Vite. Uh, and I read this moment. So he laughs and then he huffs himself up and becomes the old Adrian Vite and says, who do you think you are to hold judgment over me? I almost wanted her to say, I'm glad she did it, but I almost wanted her to say, I'm the girl with the motherfucking brick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, that would have been badass. Yes. Uh, but I also like him saying like the world is going to end. And then she's like, people keep saying that, but it never does. And, and I, I really love that. That was a great line. 
Well, I uh, think that's also a riff on the uh, nothing ever ends Adrian. And I think that's ultimately the thing that pisses him off is yeah. he hates that. Like he yeah. wants endings. He wants the adulation and for him to be done. And he's never getting he's a, that. He's a, he's a character. He's a villain in a story. And he, so he wants it to end so he can then move on or become the, he's the, he thinks he's the hero of a story. And the world, as Laurie says, the world is just not like that. You idiot. Yeah. Um, we keep on living and she's uh, people change. And she says, some of us do. And right. then we get Rorschach, the Rorschach analog finally beats Vite by knocking yeah. him out. Yeah, a little wrench to the head. Solves a lot yeah. of problems. Uh, not a great solution. Don't take any lesson from that, Pete. <laughs> uh, That's uh, been my I thought that was model. great. And I loved, uh, which again, I'm sure we'll talk more about that on the Buddhist podcast, but I loved Lori and uh, Wade going off into Archie together, dragging Vite behind them. Mm-hmm. It almost felt to me like Lori has been Silk Spectre, She's been the comedian. Now she kind of gets to be Night Owl to Wade's Rorschach. And yeah. potentially that's something we'll see going forward. That That's just a fun pairing and a fun possibility to me. I would like to say, though, his line, the way he delivers, he talks too much and kind of like a Southern draw was really hysterical and fantastic. Yeah. Uh, his voice throughout the whole series is just so different from everyone else's and it's great. Yeah. Um, and it's also it's cathartic for Wade because he has been traumatized yeah. by the squid. Now he gets mm-hmm. to have vengeance on Adrian Vite. Hell yeah. Uh, so back in uh, to sort of the little epilogue here, uh, Dreamland in the Dreamland Theater, the letters spelled Dr. M, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. which I thought was cool. Interesting. Uh, Red Scare somehow lives, as does Bean. Uh, and Pirate Jenny. And all of their masks are off now. So again, yeah. we get a resolution. All secrets are out. Yeah, all yeah, secrets are all out. Secrets are out. Um, Angela takes the kids to the, the, her bakery or secret headquarters. Uh, Topher oh, sees oh, what her what a beautiful suit. morning is playing. Yeah, it's like sort of like the truth is out, and aren't we all a little bit better for that? And then we get the final sequence leading up that we ta- sort of well, already uh, talked about. Yeah, hold on. There, there's. I do want to talk about the Topher thing because we've had so many theories about him. Yeah. Um, he sees the costume. Uh, two things it reminded me of. One, it's sort of like Laurie looking at the costume in the Owl Cave back in the comic book. Uh, but it also reminded me of the moment when Angela's father is dressed up and seeing his father dressed as Hooded Justice. Uh, But it almost seems more positive. Like, we've speculated, does Topher have Dr. Manhattan powers? Is there something weirder going on with him? But ultimately, I think his point is to more positively embrace the legacy that his mother, Angela, is giving him. Yeah, I agree. It definitely was like... It was sort of a shot in like a hero uh, pose way. Like it yeah. felt like this so, is my lineage. This is my legacy. I can take this on someday maybe. And it was also kind of like uh, when Angela was a girl and saw the VHS tape. Yeah. Of Sister Night. Yeah. Right uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a similar expression, I guess. Good point, Pete. Um, nice. Yeah, we don't get the hit final... me with the, Put down the wrench. You can put down the wrench. Yeah. <laughs> Aw. Yeah, well, you, you should not have that unless you're doing some serious plumbing. Um <laughs> She sees the, we get a flashback to the eggs. She sees the egg in the carton. Um, she walks out to the pool. Eats yeah, wait, the egg. whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, like the whole thing about, you know, uh, Louis Gottschalk Jr. was like, hey, you know, you got to break a couple eggs or whatever. Oh, yeah, he yeah. wanted me to say that. And that reminded me when he was like, hey, I'm walking on water. This is important. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? And she doesn't get it. But then when she goes back to her house, 
and sees the eggs that he was trying to make waffles before he died or before he got sucked away. Uh, I really loved this whole thing. Yeah, it definitely brings everything together. I mean, to yeah. parse through the half sentences that Pete just had. Uh, so back in the last episode, Dr. Fuck you, I talk in half sentences, you dick. All right. Uh, put down the wrench. Uh, Dr. Manhattan was walking on a pool. Angela was like, get off the fucking pool. And he was like, no, it's important that you see this for later, which is how it ties into the end of the episode. Also, Angela broke the eggs, as Justin mentioned. Turns out there's one egg left. Uh, and Will, back in the Dreamland Theater, mentioned in order to make one an omelet, you got to break a few all. eggs. That's what Dr. Manhattan said to me. Uh, we also should mention an important plot point is that Will was not the villain here. Like there was certainly a point through yeah. Lady True's plan where it felt like, why did Will give up Dr. Manhattan? And what Will reveals is when Dr. Manhattan visited him at Nelson Gardner's house, he laid out all of this. And he said, in order to beat Lady True, you need to give me up. I need to die, which is an interesting thing because if Dr. Manhattan is dead, how does he know that? And the reason I ask is because, as I think has been pretty clearly established by Watchmen, he is not omniscient. He can't see everything. He can only see in his own timeline and what is happening to him. But he seems to be able to see things that are happening beyond his timeline. Well, I think when he gets to a certain point and there's no more, I think that's when he just says, "Okay, this must be when I die because I can't go any farther than this. I think well, but we also oh, he ahead, may yes. not be dead. We don't know. Like we don't know how the Dr. Manhattan powers work. If Angela truly inherited them through the egg, like we don't know what that means in general. Maybe Dr. Also, Manhattan is infinite. But also comes back to the whole which came first, the chicken or the egg, which this show answers. It's the fucking egg. <laughs> <laughs> what if Dr. Manhattan was like, go eat this chicken, eat this chicken whole. Yeah. It inherit my though. powers. It's yeah, a fucking egg. egg. So now we know the answer. People can stop with the stupid bullshit. I'm just saying wow. that chicken and waffles is pretty delicious. So he could have done like a little 50-50 thing going on there. Yeah, make it a meal rather than mm. a raw egg. That's gross. Yeah, yeah, that is gross. She's probably, do you think, this is the big question coming out of the series, and we'll get to the specific moment in a second. Do you think Angela died of salmonella poisoning? <laughs> yes, that's that's hey, what he said. It's important. If Rocky can do it, you can do it. <laughs> I want to find, watch you writhe in fucking pain. He was like, you have to be by the pool so you can barf in it because you're going to be sick. <laughs> Don't eat raw eggs. That's the motto of Watchmen. Uh, so she does walk out. They bathe the entire thing. It's early morning. They bathe the entire thing in blue light as yep. Angela walks out to the pool. She cracks open to the egg, uh, eats the egg. I was hoping it would be hard-boiled at least. You know, I mean, that's gross. It is gross. Uh, and she goes and slowly we get the shot of her putting her foot down on the pool as See How They Fly uh, plays on the soundtrack. Uh, and that's where we cut. And this shot was perfect. Perfect. Nope. Absolutely perfect. What a great end. Nope. Now, I'm Pete, if she didn't take her fucking time, we could have had more time to see if she actually was able to walk. But because she was taking her fucking time too much, it cut out. Now, that's not Pete, how storytelling works, Pete. <laughs> Pete, I, I just want to say, not to be too Adrian Veidt about it, you're about to eat your fucking words here, because the reason 
we cut out on that scene is it is an exact parallel of the last panel of Watchmen, the comic book in Watchmen, the comic book. It ends with Rorschach's journal being in the new frontiersman. It's laid out there. They're looking for something to publish. And the publisher is like, I don't know, take something off of the crazy pile, grab whatever you want. Rorschach's journal has the whole plan about Adrian Veidt and the squid and everything in it. Uh, and after Adrian Veidt is ostensibly one, we think the world is never going to find out. And the intern or assistant or whoever he is, is reaching for the book. And the last line is, I leave it entirely in your hands. And we left on this ambiguous moment where we don't know whether the guy is going to reach and grab with his hand Rorschach's journal and take it out and publish it or not. Ultimately, in the TV series, we find out that, yes, he did. That's what they said. But this ends on the exact same thing where it's an ambiguous moment. But instead of a hand, it's a foot. Perfect. Yeah. So let me the get the downstairs hand. The you foot ate is the downstairs your fucking hand. Words, Pete. No, I ate did him. not. You fucking piece Shop of shit. Shop it down on him. Uh, so just because we have one shitty Tony Soprano ending, we got to have oh two. Oh my god, that's what you're, you're pointing ridiculous. out. Pete, your words are like a raw egg, and you ate them. And the only superpowers you got were being wrong. <laughs> well, then I'm wrong twice, and I don't give a shit because it would have been nice to see her fucking walk on water. Well, that's what that's a sport, uh, a uh, cliffhanger, Pete. That's uh, have you ever read a comic the, book? Uh, Eggman playing during the credits was a nice touch. Okay. Yeah, this is you are one hundred percent wrong. That's the only way it could end, and I think it was pretty clear from like from the moment she walked in to the kitchen. Selvin, and that's saw, your shitty opinion. No, no it's. I, I, I agree with Alex. Her walk on water. I think I, maybe wait for season two or use your imagination. Right, I. I understand normally I'd be like, that's an opinion, but I kind of feel like this is a fact here. Yes. I don't don't care about your facts and your bullshit. Man. Wow. You're pretty angry, Pete. I think this is a horrible point to wrap up, but before we do, and before we get to our bonus podcast, uh, uh, which we'll post on Thursday, any final thoughts about this episode that you want to throw out there or the season? Great cap to a great season. I'm very excited to talk more about what the future holds. A lot of ideas. Just truly a a masterpiece. Lived up to the potential that this show had and uh, sort of went beyond. Yeah, I just would. I think that like the I'm so happy this episode just kind of like ramped up and got through all the things and was able to tie stuff up the way that it did so that like. Before the other episodes were more artistic and a little bit more kind of like I feel like creative where this one felt like just thing after thing. We got to get through this a little bit. Um, And that's why I think the ending bothered me because it was like hammering through stuff and then it slowed down and stopped like really slowed down to almost a crawl and then stopped like seconds before, uh, you know, with something like really cool um so yeah that's that was just a little but then for me having that egg song play and then you kind of realize okay this had to end this way and this was kind of like of course the egg worked because of all the things uh that we saw and witnessed before so it was just like i don't know it was very powerful 
I I sort of agree with you a little bit, Pete, just in terms of uh, clearly like the sixth episode was a high watermark in terms of visual creativity. The yeah. eighth episode played with time. Seventh episode also mixed up the history and tried some visual things. I think there were some fantastic things throughout, but it definitely by its very nature, erred on the side of plot. But I also think that's true to the last issue of the comic book where. Yeah. And all stories, I feel like sort of have to do that. Yes. And also it's true to the comic book in terms of that simmers down a little bit for the last couple of pages and just gives us this epilogue of what happened to all the characters. But since this show was all about one character, Angela Abar, that's the main one that we focus on. And yeah. that's why it ultimately worked for me, though I do understand a bit of the sense of what you're talking about. Uh, one other thing that I think is worth mentioning, or at least ask the question, is how did you feel about the treatment of Lady True? Just on the thematic sense turning her into a petulant villain for the last episode. One quibble that I had is I think the show did a great job talking about the African-American experience, talking about inherited trauma, but uh, through Angela Abar and other characters, but focusing on Angela. But if Lady True is about the Vietnamese experience at the end, they ultimately get fucked by God again, which I understand (laughs) is consistent, but it didn't necessarily bother me so much as raise the question there of I'm curious to see how the Vietnamese audience will react to that at the end of the day. To me, it wasn't it was less that she was representing Viet, the Vietnamese experience and more. She was the sort of the heightened or the new version of Adrian Veidt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that makes sense as that story like but, over her arc is very Veidt like in a uh, in the heightened way. But we also don't know like. What she would have done, like if she would have really changed things and made things better, mm-hmm. like she had said. So, yeah, I think she probably would. If I had Dr. Manhattan powers, I'd do a lot of great stuff. Uh, I yeah. definitely get rid of the stuff that behind my Alexander the Great and horrible, no good, very bad day painting. Probably eat some it. other things, but I'll start there. Go eat a rye out of your fridge, Alex, and uh, make it happen. Yeah. If you would like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by. We'll chat with you about Watchmen. couple of places socially you can follow us on Twitter, Watchmen Watch One. Definitely hit us up with questions there for the bonus podcast. We love to hear your theories about a potential season two when that almost assuredly gets announced. Also, Watchmen Watch podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can check us out at comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And remember, we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago. Squid rain. rain. Squid squid rain. That sounds like the pain alarm clock is going off. Ooh, Pete, put down the wretch.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.